Good morning, church. Please turn with me in your Bibles to Zechariah chapter 4. That's, you can find that on page 794, 794, and the Bible's provided for you in the pews. It is good to be back in the pulpit. Thank you for your warm welcome and hospitality to our Gospel Priorities preachers. They left much encouraged in their own ministries, and, and we were encouraged by them as a congregation and as a staff. They came and spoke to us either the day before or after they preached for us here. But thanks again for opportunity to catch my breath a little bit. We return to our study of the minor prophets. If you're new to us or with us, and by the way, we welcome all of you guests with us today. And thank you for ministering to us in various ways, boys from PDS. Thank you for your ministry, all of you staff and faculty, administration, PDS as well. We, we uh, love being partners with you. But if you're guests with us, we... We are, we are studying these minor prophets, not because they're unimportant. We call them minor prophets because they're shorter. And they come at the end of the Old Testament, right before the New Testament, just before the appearing of Christ. They range from 900 years before the birth of Christ to 500 years uh, or less uh, before his birth. That is the case with this prophet, Zechariah. Zechariah is coming to encourage the people of God to believe that God does great things through small means, just what Sarah reminded us of. And specifically, they are rebuilding the church at the center of their city. They're rebuilding the temple. They've been off in exile. They've been captive to the Babylonians. They're finally coming back. And uh, Persia is now the world empire. They've given a little money to build the church. They got discouraged. They had some opposition at the beginning. And so they quit. He sent Haggai. He said, start it again. He started a little bit. They got discouraged again. Here, Zerubbabel is now the king. He's just a governor. He's just kind of a puppet king. Joshua is the pastor of the church. It's just a little church, a ragtag group of people. And God says to them, I have great plans. Last week, we sang a song we really love here. And it goes uh, something like this. There's a, it's a kind of a catechetical response. Do you believe the world is broken? And we say, we do. Do you feel the dark, the shadows deepen? We do. But do you know that all the dark can't stop the light from breaking through? And we said by faith, we do. That's the message of the passage. And it's the message that God has brought you here to hear today. No matter what darkness you're feeling in your life, in this world, no matter what brokenness you feel in your life, in this whole creation, you may be confident that the light of Christ shining to you and able to shine through you cannot be quenched by the darkness. Begin reading with me, chapter 4 of Zechariah, verse 1. The angel who talked with me, Zechariah is receiving visions. He's got eight night, eight night visions, and this is the fifth one. And he's so worn out by after the fourth one that the angel has to wake him up. The angel who talked with me again and woke me like a man who was awakened out of his sleep. And he said to me, what do you see? 
I said, I see and behold a lampstand, all of gold with a bowl on the top of it, seven lamps on it, with seven lips on each of the lamps that are on the top of it. Two olive trees by it, one on the right of the bowl, the other on its left. And I said to the angel who talked with me, what are these, my Lord? And the angel who talked with me answered and said, do you not know what these are? I said, no, my Lord. So he said to me, this is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel, not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. Who are you, O great mountain? Before Zerubbabel, you shall become a plain, and he shall bring forward the top stone amid shouts of grace, grace to it. Then the word of the Lord came to me saying, the hands of Zerubbabel have laid the foundation of this house. His hands shall also complete it. Then you will know that the Lord of hosts has sent me to you for whoever has despised the day of small things shall rejoice and shall see the plumb line in the hand of Zerubbabel. These seven are the eyes of the Lord, which range through the whole earth. Then I said to them, what are these two olive trees on the right and the left of the lampstand? And a second time I answered and said to him, what are these two branches of the olive trees, which are beside the two golden pipes from which the golden oil is poured out? He said, do you not know what these are? I said, no, my Lord. So he said, these are the two anointed ones who stand by the Lord of the whole earth. Brothers and sisters, the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Let's pray together. Open our eyes, O Lord, that we would see not only the plain meaning of the text, but apply it in our lives in a way that is transformative to us as well as to the world around us. In Jesus' name we pray. God's people said together, amen. One of the few facts I remember from my class in Alabama state history is that Enterprise, Alabama, a small town, a very small town at the bottom of the state, is known for one very curious thing. There's a statue in the middle of the town square, lovely Greek goddess with her hands in the air, the bowl above her head, and a 50-pound bug on top of it. 50-pound bronze insect, the bowl weevil. Why in the world, the little town of Enterprise, Alabama, build a statue to the bowl weevil? There is a dedicatory plaque that reads this way, in profound appreciation of the bowl weevil and what it has done as the herald of prosperity. In 1892, the historians tell us that the boll weevil came over from Mexico and began laying her eggs in the cotton bowls and destroying cotton crops across the South. And since 1892, $23 billion worth of damage had been done to the cotton industry. That uh, plague had not quite reached Enterprise, but it was on its way. It was next door. And uh, one uh, seed salesman named H.M. Sessions convinced a cotton farmer named C.W. Boston that he should plant peanuts instead of cotton. 
He decided to do it. The soil was just right for it, not right for much else, but right for uh, peanuts. And he planted, and instead of cotton, he planted peanuts. And that year, while the rest of the farmers experienced a downturn from 15,000 bales of cotton to 1,500, he made an $8,000 profit, enough to pay off his debts from the year before and put a little money in his pocket. The next year, everybody jumped on the peanut train. They started planting other things, peanuts and tobacco and other things. And in a couple of years, they went from a declining cotton industry to a booming peanut industry, $5 million. And the leader of peanut production, peanut oil in the world. A little thing, a little bug less than the size of a pinky nail brought an economy to its knees and forced it to turn and diversify to become prosperous. It's the way God wired the world to work. Do not despise the day of small things, says Zechariah. What was the small thing that they were tempted to despise? It was the putting down, the laying down of the cornerstone of the temple. God had said, I'm going to free you from Babylon after your 70 years of discipline. I'm going to free you. You go back to Jerusalem. You're going to rebuild it. And I want you to put the church in the center of town as a testimony that I'm at the center of your lives. And they went back and they started that and it failed. They got a little opposition and they stopped. They started living for themselves. And then God sends another prophet, Zechariah, and he said, you've got to start again. And so Zerubbabel, this small town governor, puts down a cornerstone. And people stand around and mock him. What in the world? They're saying, in effect, we've got big problems. We've got a, a failed economy. We, we, are in, we, we have a crime problem. We're vulnerable on all sides. There, there's a superpower threatening world domination, and we're going to be victims to it. We've got health problems. We've got educational problems. We've got all kinds of problems in this city. And you are trying to build a church. It's such a small thing, it's offensive, they said in effect. What good could a church and all that goes with it, what good could it possibly do in such a dark, desperate world? And God thunders forth, do not despise the day of small things. What's the opposite of despising the day of small things? The opposite is to believe that God does great things. It is the opposite of, of, of laughing and mocking and, and shrinking away in hopelessness is defiant hope. It is, to become, it is to become daredevils of hope. And, and, and Zechariah explains that the way we are able to do that is by means of the Holy Spirit envisioned, pictured in this candelabra, this menorah, this lampstand at the heart of the imagery of this passage. 
The Holy Spirit, he says, the Holy Spirit has one purpose. It is to advance the kingdom of God. And the Holy Spirit is the power of God bringing the life of Christ to bear on this world in such a way that true, eternally significant transformation occurs. Look at how it comes forth in the passage, verses 1 to 3, verses 11 to 14. The purpose of the Holy Spirit. The purpose of the Holy Spirit to advance the kingdom of God. And, and here's how we know it's the Holy Spirit. Because of the language that's used and we trace it through the Bible and we say, what is that language, uh, what does it uh, symbolize? Well, a, a, a lamp fueled by oil is a picture we learn from the rest of Scripture. And even verse 6 explains this is the power of the Holy Spirit working through the church. The, the, the light of God enlightens the church. The church, in turn, brings light to the world. Light, hope. Hope that comes by faith in Christ alone. Now, here's, the, here's the, the, how the power is conveyed. You, you, have, this, you have this lampstand, large lampstand, which is, uh, is mechanically impossible to build. Because it's solid gold and it, it stretches to such an expanse that there'd be no way for it to sustain itself. And that indicates to us this is a, this is a picture. This is a, 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 an image of something that is of divine significance outside of this world. But it's a, it's a seven-armed uh, lampstand, a menorah that is, that is found in the temple, the temple uh, furniture. And, and this, this lampstand obviously has uh, seven lamps on it, seven wicks at the, at the top of each of the, of the, the arms, the arms come up. There's a, there's a saucer beneath and there's a wick. And then to each of these saucers, each of these lips, the text says, comes seven lines, seven conduits, seven, seven fuel lines. It's seven to each one. It's not additive. You have seven individual branches. You have seven individual wicks. But to each of those individual wicks, seven conduits of oil. It it indicates the, the power of the fuel that is coming to ignite and supply that lamp. And then those lines run down a candelabra and out to the side and they're and they're connected to two olive trees, and those olive trees provide perpetual fuel. So it's a picture of powerful and perpetual fuel for light. And that's the church. The church is perpetually and powerfully supplied with all the fuel we need to live as lights in this world, no matter how oppressive the darkness becomes. It's a beautiful picture of an image in Pilgrim's Progress. Some of you are reading Pilgrim's Progress. Uh, Some of our school, some of our students are reading Pilgrim's Progress. There was a time in American education when someone was not considered educated until they had read Pilgrim's Progress. Allegory of the Christian Life, written by a Puritan named John Bunyan. There's, a, there's an, an image of in, in a man's house called the interpreter. Interpreter brings, 
Christian into the house. Christian is on a pilgrimage to heaven, to the celestial city. He brings him in and he has all these images of, of spiritual things uh, lived out physically. And there was a, a fireplace that had two sides to it. On one side was a man in the front and he kept, he was dumping water on the, on the fire. But no matter how much water he dumps on it, the, the fire continued to burn. So he said, come around to the back of the fireplace. And he looks and there is another man who's continually pouring oil on the fire. He said, you want to know the meaning of this? Well, he said, the man in the front, that's the devil who's constantly trying to quench our faith. And here in the back is the Holy Spirit who is constantly supplying the oil that overcomes his quenching. That's a beautiful picture of what is true for us. No matter how dark it becomes, no matter how persecuted we are, no matter how discouraged we are, how much, how much trial there is in our lives, in the church, in our city, nothing can quench the light of the gospel shining forth in the church of Jesus Christ. It never has been able to. That's how the, 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 the angel can say to Zerubbabel uh, in uh, verse uh, 7, he, he says, Zerubbabel shall become, before Zerubbabel, you shall become a plain. Who's he talking to? To Persia, as well as to all of the other nations and political, and, and, and political empires and all other forces that put themselves up against the kingdom of God. You will become a plain. The kingdom of God will never quit advancing. The church of Jesus Christ will never be extinguished. And you, individual Christian, no matter how discouraged, disheartened, abused, persecuted, discouraged you are, nothing can quench your faith when the Holy Spirit has connected you to the life of Jesus. How does this happen? How, how, does this, how does this kingdom advance in us in the church? It advances in us in the church through the ordinances or the means of grace of the church. Those means of grace are the word, sacraments, and prayer. The word of God that is preached, that is taught in our Bible studies, in our Sunday schools. The word of God that is accompanied with sacraments, just physical signs. That because the Holy Spirit is real, he is able to confirm to our consciences and make us know that we know that this is true. And prayer connects us to God and his kingdom and his providence. So the Bible indicates to us that as we participate in these ordinary means of grace, God changes our brains, causes us to think differently. And when we think differently, we live differently. The Bible says, uh, in view of God's mercy, present your bodies As a living sacrifice, that's in Romans 12, bring your bodies into worship. As a living sacrifice, don't come here and kill yourself on the altar, but come and present yourself as a living sacrifice, surrender to God. And this is what he's going to do. He is going to transform 
you by the renewing of your mind so that you will approve the good, holy, and perfect will of God. That is, you will begin to think differently his thoughts after him, and you will know what is right and wrong. You will know how to live in this world. You will flourish. And not only will he meet you intellectually, change your brain, because he meets us emotionally in the supper, he conveys to us, he he convinces our consciences that what we're hearing is true and it transforms us from the inside out. Now, if your God is pragmatism, if you're a cynic, then you're saying, that's a small thing. We've got big problems. I've got big problems in my life, preacher. I've got, uh, my, my family's melting down. I'm depressed. I'm anxious. My, my, my business is going under. Don't you know about the crime in this city? Don't you know about the violence across the country? Don't you know that we're, we're on the brink of world war and you're talking about preaching and the sacraments? But let me ask you, what is in your mind as the solution to those big problems that we have, you have? Is it a powerful political leader? Is it a bigger bomb? Is it better fiscal policy? Is it another institution? Is it a medication? Not that God can't use all of these things. But how much success has any of those things brought? Versus the endurance of the church of Jesus Christ and its ability to lead people into transformed minds and transformed lives, which in turn transform cultures. There's a Puritan named Edward Reynolds. I won't read the whole quote, but he's encouraging his people not to neglect the Lord's Supper. The Lord's Supper is what we serve every Sunday night right here. And you come forward and you take a little cup of juice and a little piece of bread. And the elder says, this is the body and blood of Christ given for you. And it may seem so small that you think, why should I leave the comfort of my home tonight and come for that? I can have a shot of juice and bread at home. But Edward Reynolds, as well as all the godly people through the past have said, it's in that Lord's Supper that powerful transformation occurs from the inside out. He said it is the food of Daniels. Need to be a Daniel? Do you find yourself shrinking in fear? Do you find yourself at the the mercy of an addiction? Do you find yourself hopeless, constantly anxious? Do you find anger right at the the surface, uh, constantly believing in conspiracies, allowing the, the, the thinking of the world and the liturgy of the daily media pumping into your brains? Do you see that that is transforming? What's going, what's going to turn that back? Well, let me tell you, small things like worship and the sacraments. It's just the way God delights to work. 
It's powerful. It's powerful because the Spirit is powerful. That's the point of verses 4 to 10. It's powerful because the Spirit is powerful. The Spirit power is explained in His taking everything that Jesus accomplished and bringing it from heaven to earth to you and me. And it occurs in particularly concentrated doses in corporate worship and the serving of the Lord's Supper and in prayer. The Holy Spirit unites us to Christ, brings the power of Christ to us in such a way that small things become great. Zechariah is very intense when he says, do not despise the day of small things. Despise is the Hebrew word baza. It's only used a few times, but when it is, it means business. Because it is not just that you act contemptuously, you show contempt for something, you despise something, that you don't like something, you don't approve of it, you're dismissive of it. No, he says, when you act this way, when you act with baza, you're actually showing contempt for God himself. When David committed his sin with Bathsheba, The prophet said, you have shown contempt, not just for the seventh commandment, you shall not commit adultery, but you've shown contempt for me because these are my ways. And when you fail to live, when you fail to choose God's ways, you show contempt for him. And so he says, when you look at the small things, the way, quote unquote, the small things that God says are truly mighty and powerful, Namely, the word of God changing your mind and your life. Corporate worship that transforms the way you live and you take that transformation into the world. When you show contempt for those small things and say, no, what we need are big things. We need big political changes. We need big powerful things. We need more money. We need more, we mean more success. When you show contempt for small things, you show contempt for God because God has wired the world in such a way that he does truly significant things. He does the unthinkable through the unseemly. If you want to look for where the Lord's hand is, Don't look at where everybody else is looking. Look at the small things. And there you'll find the great works of God. I thought of this earlier this week in preparing this message. As I remembered uh, visiting some missionaries a few years ago. In Peru, someone has said the history of missions is the history of the impossible. Another another thinker has said there is no universe in which a true God and impossibility live in the same universe. If you're God, there is no impossibility. If something is impossible, then there's not a God. 
So as long as God is God, nothing is impossible. And that is seen in many places, but especially in the history of missions. I was on the mission field meeting with these this missionary team that we had sent missionary uh, team of, of uh, medical providers and some were, some were uh, ministering on the medical college campus and others had started a clinic and others had started a, 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 a cutting edge eye surgery clinic or even the top officials are sending their family members. And so I was at one point meeting with the elders and the pastor of the local church that was, that was serving these new missionaries, four elders and a pastor. And the, and the church had been planted by a friend of mine about a decade before. And, and these, these elders were high school students at the time he was planting the church. And, and they had a new pastor and his name was Pastor Wilbur. They'd asked me to meet with them and we were bouncing ideas around and, and Pastor Wilbur and I were getting to know each other and we were saying, do you know this person and that person? And we, we found that we knew someone had a common friend, very significant in both our lives. His name was Jerry Gutierrez. Jerry Gutierrez's story is, uh, is remarkable. Uh, when he was in, in college uh, studying philosophy, uh, he was in class with a man named Guzman. Guzman was, was telling his students, you know, uh, the, the, the church can't help us. We've got poverty, we have injustice, and, and we've waited too long. The church has, can't do anything for us. Politicians can't do anything for us. Uh, other uh, powers around the world can't do anything for us. We've got to take power in our own hands, throw off the powers above us. And by this philosophy of Maoism or Marxism, we need to take the country by force and then bring real justice. We're going to lead a revolution. Guzman started this little group of shining path gorillas that terrorized Peru for the next couple of decades. Jerry Gutierrez was his leading guy, showed the most promise. A man from poverty, a man who was angry, and, 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 and so he rose to the ranks and, and, and Jerry was supposed to be shipped off to Moscow to be trained as the lead, the leader of this revolution that was going to come by 1982. But a couple of weeks before he was to ship off to Moscow, he, he, he encountered Harry Marshall, another friend of mine who was a veteran missionary there. And, he, and he, he, he wanted to talk to Harry Marshall because Harry had a beautiful daughter named Ruthie. And Harry said, you can't date my daughter Ruthie until you come to Christ. And so Jerry would sit with his AK-47 on his lap talking to Harry Marshall about Jesus. Harry Marshall sent a, a missionary letter back to the States and said, please pray for Jerry to come to Christ. A little girl read that, that story, read that letter, and she took out her personal stationery, which was shaped like a teddy bear. And she wrote a note and sent it to Harry Marshall and said, please pass this on to Mr. Jerry. And it just said, Mr. Jerry, I'm praying for you to come to know Jesus. That shining path gorilla revolutionary read that note on teddy bear stationery 
and broke down and gave his life to Christ. He went on to Bible college, went on to seminary, went back, planted a church, and then they said, you've got to leave. You've got to leave the country. You're the most wanted man in Peru. He went over to a neighboring country, planted a church. His wife got sick. They came back to Washington, D.C. He couldn't, he was a man who couldn't sit on his hands. He was a man of action. He was a man who wanted to see change, and he especially wanted to see change for the poor, especially the orphan street boys in and uh, in Peru. And so he was sitting one day at, a, at the national prayer breakfast in DC. And Jerry being Jerry made his way to the front where Vice President Quayle was speaking. And he said, Vice President Quayle, my name is Jerry Gutierrez. I have a I have a burden for the poor, the poor street kids in Peru, and we've got to get supplies to them. The the Shining Path gorillas have cut us off. The government's not helping them. We've got to get supplies to them, and we need to tell them about Jesus and bring real hope. And your airplane is big enough to take all the supplies we need. He didn't let go of quail until he surrendered Air Force Two, and within a few weeks... They were flying together to Peru to bring all the supplies needed to start Project Nehemiah. To get the street boys off the street, tell them about Jesus, give them an education, food, shelter, and clothing, and a new start in life. And one of those street boys was named Wilbur. Wilbur came to Christ Wilbur got his education. Wilbur went on to seminary, and now Pastor Wilbur was sitting in the room where I was pastoring this group of doctors from America who had come to help transform the medical college and to build clinics that would bring state-of-the-art education to the very, very poor. That is transformation. Those are the small things. That the world says it's not even worth engaging in. Those are the small things that God loves to shame the might and power of those who say this is what really works. And it starts with the message of the gospel in the church of Jesus Christ and ordinary means of grace transforming people whose lives in turn transform the world. Let's give our all to it. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for not giving up on us and constantly telling us the truth. We pray that we would turn away from all that the world tells us is truly mighty and truly powerful and give our lives to the gospel in the church and then moving out from it into the world. We ask that you would, by doing so, transform this city, transform this nation, transform this world. Lord, I pray very specifically from these boys sitting in front of me, you would raise up an army of godly men who would commit themselves to what the world calls small things, 
that they might do great things, eternally significant, building the kingdom of God. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.